Let's go to the Lord together. Gracious Father, you alone are God, and to you belongs all the glory and the honor. Lord, there's no one who compares to you. You are higher than your creation. You alone are worthy of worship. Father, we confess we cannot worship on our own. I confess that I can do nothing apart from you. I am helpless and I have complete need of you. Father, I ask that you'll come. You'll come and fill our hearts, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Renew our minds and fill our hearts with love for you. Father, turn our affections and our desires away from this world and may your grace be evident and so fulfilling within us, Lord. Lord, show us our need for grace given through your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us the spiritual eyes to see him this morning in your word and all that he is for us. Father, as you do it for us, we ask that you'll do it for the Gertu people in Bhutan, 175,000 in that people group who are trapped in false religion. Lord, they follow the, the Buddhist monks and the, the rituals that they do to, in order to be cleansed. And Father, it's all for nothing. Lord, there is no real access to the gospel in Bhutan. Lord, I pray that you will send more missionaries into Bhutan. Lord, the, the ones we know that are there, our friends who are there, who are kind of under the radar, Father, we pray that you will bless their work, that you will enable for the different visas and all the processes that they have to go through to be there, that you will work that out. Father, that you will bless their ministry, that you will save many through their sacrifice. May the word of God go forth from the missionaries into the Gertu people. May you raise up brothers who have been called to establish churches for their own people. And may you strengthen those churches, Father. And may you save the Gertus. Lord, we also pray that you'll save many here in the Dahlgren area in King George County. Lord, grant us the sweet joy of sharing the gospel with our neighbors and our friends, those around us. May we witness the resurrection of life that only you can give. Lord, help us to be bold in the proclamation of the gospel. May we have a desire to give the greatest news known. And Father, may we have greater faith that you are not dependent on what we do, but you are already working. But Father, we want to be your instruments. We want to be a part of your great work to save unbelievers. Lord, there's some in our midst, I'm sure, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray that you will open their eyes to you this morning. And Lord, those of us who have already confessed our great need and you've saved us, strengthen us this morning. May we live in a way that's pleasing to you under the banner of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 15. 
And please raise your hand if you need a Bible or if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, and we'll be more than happy to give you a copy, a church Bible. And if you don't own one, please keep it as our gift to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it's page 811 in the church Bible. Today we're starting something new here at Redeemer Church. Every year, we want to start off the new year with emphasis on prayer. So today begins our first prayer week. There should have been a card in your seat this morning that lays out the different prayers we're going to be looking at throughout the week, and more on that in a minute. Now, if you spend any time with us here at Redeemer, you know that we pray a lot. When we gather, we pray. Our corporate worship service is bathed in prayer. We pray before the service, we pray during the service, and we close in prayer. We encourage lots of prayer, and we're trying to build a ministry of prayer, both for us in the community. We do this because the Christian life is impossible without prayer. Any other life, whether it be business, school, hobbies, sports, you name it, it's possible if you have the right skill sets and the right kind of ability. But the Christian life is a life that is impossible without the working of God in a person's life. A person can do all the things that a Christian is supposed to do, but without God, it's meaningless, and it's all for nothing. Prayer acknowledges that. Prayer acknowledges that we cannot do what God has called us to do. And it says, essentially, only you, God, can give me new life. Only you can help me understand the reason why I'm here Only you can enable me to worship you and your greatness and your goodness. Only you fulfill my desires and longings. Only you can sustain and provide and work for your glory in my life and in my family and in your creation. Only you, God. That is what prayer says. You and I are finite beings. We live in a finite world We have finite agendas and problems and desires. Prayer turns our attention away from temporary things that we may be facing and centers us on what ultimately matters. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Praying fixes us on what's eternal, namely God himself, and we all need help doing that, and so we pray. Having a week of prayer may help some of us here this morning reinvigorate our prayers by connecting us with God in a new way. Maybe some of us have gotten caught up in the things of this past year that have gone on, And our focus has turned to temporary matters instead of focusing on who we're running toward. 
And we've lost sight that one day we will arrive in the presence of the one who will have all of our attention. Maybe you pray regularly. But maybe when you pray, there are times when you hear yourself with the same repetition. You could say it really without any thought or heartfelt desire. Or maybe your prayer life is on fire and having a prayer week excites you. This prayer week is intended to help you with any one of those things, whether you're struggling in your prayer life, whether you have a a prayer life that's on fire. This prayer week is intended for our church to come together and pray and strengthen our prayers and our dependence on God. I see today as an opportunity because we get to set a new path for the new year. We get to look back in our lives and in our young church at what God has done in 2017 And we get to look at 2018 with renewed hope for how he will show his glory this coming year. Prayer reveals our dependence on him, our hope in him, and it's an act of worship because it says we need God to act. We need God to move in our lives. We listen for his direction. We ask of him. And I recognize all of this with prayer. But I approach prayer like many of you as someone who needs to pray more often and to be more thoughtful in my prayers. So to help set a path for a vibrant, healthy prayer life at Redeemer Church, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. It's going to actually book in our prayer week. It begins this week, and Lord willing, it'll cap it off next Sunday with areas to praise God and pray for throughout the week. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, we will see the Lord telling us, the Lord Jesus telling us how to pray, who to pray to, and actually what to pray for. Lord willing, today we're going to be talking about how to pray, and then next week we'll look more intently at who we're praying to and what to pray for. My desire is that through this two-part series on prayer, that you are encouraged and you are equipped with a new fervor in your prayer to pray more often and more fervently. Our text shows us in Matthew 6 that there's actually two kinds of prayer. There is a false and there is a true way of praying. The wrong or false way focuses on us rather than on God. The right way to pray is with a God-centered reverence and a dependence on God. So let's read Matthew 6, 5 and learn how to pray. Please stand as I read. Hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Please be seated. Prayer is crucial to the Christian life. It's an essential piece to a healthy, growing relationship with Christ. A Christian who does not pray to the, is vulnerable to the schemes of the devil and will eventually easily be picked off and devoured. Their reliance, a Christian who does not pray, has reliance on what they know about their faith that leaves them weak to attack or careless to their own sin. It's like being in the desert with a canteen full of water and dying of thirst. The Christian who does pray has their trust in God because of what they know about Him. They are renewed and built up because when they pray, God's supreme power and His love and His sovereign grace is working in them. The new year is a perfect time to recharge and renew our prayers, to fervently pursue God in our prayers, and to enjoy the hope and the joy that God gives by making prayer a natural part of everything that you do. Prayer does not come naturally to us. We have to be consistent. It has to be something we do every day and such. This is how God has designed it. And we want it to become part of who we are. And especially for our church, we want to be a praying church where we season everything in prayer, relying on God to guide us, to strengthen us, and to move both in us and through us and among us. It's through prayer. We are fortified, we are renewed when we know that our brothers and sisters are praying for us. Our ministries are given new life and direction when they're prayed for. And our purpose as a church is remembered and we are unified in Christ as we pray together. The book of Hebrews makes it clear that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And prayer is one of those ways in which we live out our faith in obedience to God, in trusting Him, and turning to Him and saying, God, You are the one that moves and does things. It's not what I do. It's not a checklist that I have. And then you bless. You simply bless because of who you are. You move because you want to move. Every Christian needs to pray. 
Every Christian needs to learn how to pray. And every Christian's been given the gift of prayer that directly connects us to God. As Christians, we don't want to do anything that dishonors God. No one who loves God would blatantly do something that's dishonoring to Him. But yet, if we're not careful, even in our prayers, we can become careless and dishonor God and displease Him with our prayers. Our minds can wander. We can repeat the same things over and over again. Knowing this about us, Christ provides a model for us to follow in Matthew's Gospel. This passage in Matthew is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. For three chapters in Matthew, Jesus teaches about the life of a Christian. The makeup and character of a Christian is laid out before us in those three chapters and described in detail. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor in the 20th century, wrote that the Sermon on the Mount tells us, because you are a Christian, live like this. It tells how Christians ought to live, how Christians are meant to live. Matthew tells us that Jesus had been teaching all through Galilee. He was healing every disease and affliction. The sick, the demon-possessed, those paralyzed were brought to him and they were healed. In all of that, Matthew says that Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. The purpose of Jesus' teachings and his healings were to draw attention and focus on God and his kingdom. This kingdom is about God's sovereign rule that's initiated and it's sustained by the work of Christ. Matthew goes on to tell us the great crowds began to follow Jesus. So he went up on a mountain and his disciples came up to him and he began to preach. And we know from chapter 7, verse 28, that the crowd followed him up the mountain. So from chapter 5 through chapter 7, Jesus is deliberately talking to his disciples, deliberately focused on his followers, while there are others who are listening to him, and he's describing what a Christian is and speaks to different aspects of the Christian life and character. Jesus tells us how we should live in service to God, how our life is to reflect God and His holiness, how we're to relate to others so that they will worship God, how to glorify God, and how our character ought to follow the example given by God through Jesus Christ. And inserted right in the middle of these three chapters on the Christian life and character is Jesus' lesson on how to pray. It's an integral part of the Christian life given from our Lord. He says there's a type of prayer that is used as a means to impress others and puts the attention on ourselves. And there's another type of prayer that looks to God and sees His magnificent glory and depends on His providence. Two types of prayers. Our hearts are so easily distracted And can wander even in our attempts to pray. Even when we know the truth, our hearts can wander. Jesus knows this to be true. He knows this to be true. And so he tells us 
Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those who don't believe in me. You and I, those of us who have repented of our sin and we trust in Jesus for salvation and now follow Christ, if we're not careful, we can become hypocritical in our prayers. When we're saved, we're saved from the judgment of sin, but sin still resides and we still battle the sin. And we must be weary of it when we pray. This is what Jesus is addressing in our passage this morning. Jesus cares for us more than we could ever understand. And so he shows us how to battle our tendencies for missing the mark when we pray. He wants us to enjoy the grace of God in our prayers. In our passage, there are two sections. Verses 5 and 6 provide the right way to approach prayer. And then in verses 7 through 13, Jesus gives us the model to use when praying in order to focus on God's will and His power and not push our own agenda. In verse 5, Jesus describes a prayer that's hypocritical, insincere, or fake in its manner and intent. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. There is a type of prayer that is a false prayer because it loves to be seen and heard by others. It wants others to think of the person as some great religious person. The insincerity of their prayer is seen in their focus on themselves. And that can be easy to recognize in others, but it's a lot harder to recognize that in ourselves. There are obvious ways of seeing false prayer, like putting on a show when a person prays. But there are more subtle ways of putting ourselves in the view of others and drawing attention on ourselves. We can pray in ways where our prayer is used to impact rather than focus on God and His care. Like using a prayer to emphasize our point after a discussion with a fellow believer and we want to get the last word in and so our prayer turns into the end of an argument. In that prayer, the attention is on the point we're trying to prove instead of on God. Jesus, again, knowing us better than we know ourselves, tells us, Don't be like the hypocrites. This means the intent of prayer is not to put on a show or display how much we know about our faith. We are not to use prayer to parade around and get noticed. Jesus says those who pray that way have received their reward. They've gotten the attention that they're looking for. But it's not God's attention. They want the praise of men and they get it. This type of prayer is like being at work and listening to a person who's volunteered to solve a problem. And when they give their solution, all they do is talk about their accomplishments. They're clearly not there for the real issue. They're there to promote themselves. That's what the hypocrites are like in verse 5. They're using prayer as a means to promote themselves or promote their own agenda. Prayer is not a time to show or to prove how spiritual we are. 
It's not a demonstration of our theological acumen that we've gained. It's time dedicated to God, looking to Him for His guidance, depending on Him for His promises. There are those who use prayer as a means of elevating themselves. But true prayer is not showmanship. It's a genuine conversation. It's a genuine request. It's a genuine silence listening for God. It's a crying out to Him for help. It's a trusting in His goodness. Faith is having the trust to obey truth. And prayer is one of the ways that we live out our faith by trusting in God and turning our attention on Him and not ourselves. Prayer is both a defense and an offense in the battle of faith. It protects us from looking toward created things and it opens our heart to the working of God's Spirit in us and through us. In military terms, Prayer is like the the line of communication, a direct link between a soldier and their commander. In medical terms, it's the call button to the great physician looking for him to come and provide care for us. In royal terms, it's a humble request of a servant to a king. In familiar terms, it's the cry of a child to a loving father. It's deep personal communion between you and God. This God who loves His children and He gives us His holy and His satisfying presence. It's not for showmanship. It's between you and God. This is the right approach to prayer as seen in verse 6. Having God as our focus and our attention towards His provision. Please look with me at verse 6. It says, But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now Jesus is not telling us that prayer can only be done in private. He's not forbidding public prayer. He's not comparing a private room with someone on the street. The contrast is in the person's praying. The hypocrite prays to be seen by others. So he'll go to the street corner and he'll pray out loud if he has to in order to be seen so that others will acknowledge him. Jesus says the right approach to prayer is to be seen by the Father. He says there's a difference between drawing attention to ourselves and focusing ourselves on God. When we pray, we are to be approaching the sovereign God, the creator of the universe, the Holy One, That is who we are to have in mind when we pray. We are speaking to God and to no one else. The hypocrites in verse 5 were praying in ways so that they could be seen and so they can impress. In verse 6, Jesus says prayer is to have an eye toward God alone when you pray. It's as if you and God are the only ones in the room or in a closet. The privacy of prayer is your whole focus on God. In other words, it's impression versus the sincerity of our prayers. What comes from the heart? Do you want to be seen by man or do you want to be heard from God? 
giving us this greater assurance and his provision is what we hope for when we pray. In verse 5, the hypocrites have their reward. They're looking for attention and they get it. Verse 6 says, the Father will reward you. Those who seek to impress others in their prayer have their reward. But their reward doesn't last. They'll give you the attention until someone else impresses them even more and they'll turn their attention on them. Our Father says, God the Father says, I will bless you with my presence, my eternal blessing. And He's eternal and it goes on forever. So the first part of knowing how to pray is knowing the right approach to prayer. It's not about putting ourselves on display. It's focusing on God alone and being oblivious to all the other things surrounding us besides God. This brings us to the second section of our passage, verses 7 to 15. Here, Jesus gives us the God-centered model to use when praying so that we will focus on God's sovereignty and our purpose in life before Him, and not pushing our agenda, but submitting to Him, following Him, focused on Him. Let's look at verses 7 and 8, please. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many prayers. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The empty phrases and the many words are the babbling that can occur in prayer. When a person really wants something, they may repeat it again and again. That's their desire, and so they let it be known again and again. They do this because they think the more that they speak about it, the more God will hear it and the more it will happen. The end of verse 7 says, For or because they think they will be heard. For their many words. But it's not our words that God responds to. It's the manner in which we approach Him and our attention towards His supremacy in our lives. The length of our prayer is not the issue here. The issue is recognizing who God is and not asking God to bend to our will, but it's submitting to His will. And following who he is. Jesus says don't pray with empty words that have no meaning or heartfelt desire behind them. Don't be like those people who act as though God is not who he says he really is. God says in his word he is the most important in all the world. We are to give our attention to him. We are to hear from him. And so that is how we approach prayer. Verse 8 tells us why we're not to be like those others. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God already knows what you need before you go to Him in prayer. He's already at work. God is a God who never sleeps or slumbers. He's always at work for His people if you trust in Jesus, that means God is on your side. He's already working for your behalf. He's already doing it. God is the one who gives you the help that you really need. He's not waiting for you to ask for the help. He's already doing it. Here's how Psalm 121 puts it. I lift up my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come? 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. When we approach prayer and we recognize who God is, we recognize His sovereignty over all things, and we humbly submit to a God who's already at work and He already knows what is best for us. God knows exactly what you're going through. And He knows exactly what you need. Our prayers do not inform God. They do not provide Him with new information. Our prayers are simply an exercise of faith as we connect with God and we depend on Him to move in our lives. Again, here's how Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. I must get rid of this thought that God is standing between me and my desires and that which is best for me. I must see God as my Father who has purchased my ultimate good in Christ and is waiting to bless me with His own fullness in Christ Jesus. And this goes for ourselves and those who we pray for. God's will is always better than ours. God's plan is always the right plan, the right path to follow. Later in chapter 6, Jesus tells us not to be anxious about anything. We can't add a single hour to our life. God cares for us in better ways than what we put our attention on. He cares for us in better ways than we could ever even plan for or hope for. So we submit ourselves. We put our trust in God, recognizing who He is and listening for Him. We don't draw attention to ourselves when we pray. We don't babble or repeat ourselves when we pray. And just like every other time in Scripture, when God tells us not to do something, He doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us figuring out what we're supposed to do then. If we're not supposed to do this, then what do I do? That's not how God works. God says, don't do it this way. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those Gentiles who repeat themselves again and again. He says, then... Pray like this. Don't focus on self. Don't offer up empty words. Pray in a manner like Christ. That means have the same focus on God as Christ has on the Father. With God being the priority in your life, seeking God to provide for you in this life, that's the essence of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer says, God, you matter most, and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to move as you move. This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. They are to be God-centered in all that they do, including their prayers. They are to have God as the primary goal in their life, seeking his face and flourishing in a relationship with him. Jesus says in verse 9, Pray then like this. We are to pray this way, Jesus says. Jesus' words point to where our focus needs to be in our prayers. And he gives us this model. It doesn't mean that we only pray the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is giving us a model and where the emphasis needs to be in our prayers. It needs to be on God, and we hear from God, and we depend on God, and we trust 
in God. And that is what our prayers is an exercise in. Living out our faith in God. If you follow Jesus' example, when you pray, you turn your attention away from yourself and you put it on God. You put it on our Father who's in heaven, who's holy, whose eternal kingdom is coming in all His glory and not focused on our will but His. Prayer gives us the focus time of seriously considering who God is and how much our lives are in His hands. Jesus then goes on to show that we are to trust God to provide for us in this life. Not the strength of our hands, but our trust is in God, depending on God for His care. We seek His forgiveness and His power to keep us holy and to put us on paths of righteousness. This is how we are to pray, Jesus says. And Lord willing, we'll look at that more next week. So how then do we pray? How do we pray like Jesus here in the Lord's Prayer? How do we stay away from being hypocrites and offering meaningless prayers without falling into this rigid, mechanical, cold routine in our prayers? There's three things I want to leave you with today. Three things to consider when praying to keep us focused on Christ and how to pray. First, be careful in how you approach God. We approach Him with reverence, seeking His will, not ours. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. And in doing so, He taught us to pray with this constantly in mind. We are to be constantly thinking of the King and His kingdom. That is where our thoughts need to turn toward. God is at work bringing His kingdom that's been initiated by the Son. Prayer is a communication line with the King of Kings. It's our access to the throne where we're brought to the realization of His sovereign rule over our lives and His purpose. When we pray, we realize it's part of the holy living that's in the presence of this holy God. Prayer is actually more about God than it is about us in our requests. When considering God's will in our prayers, we're saying that He is more important than we are. He's the commander and we're the soldiers. He's the doctor, we're the patient. He's the king and we're the people. He's the father and we're the children. We are not to turn our attention on us, but rather marvel at God's glorious beauty and His kingship. While we approach God in reverence, we should not be fearful or timid. So the second one is prayer allows us to commune with God in our prayers. Don't focus on mechanics, rather spend time meditating on God and the fact that His covenant love has been given to you through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our prayers are not a data dump of all that we need God to do. It's a time of focusing on our relationship with God, thanking Him for what He's done for us in Christ. While our relationship with God should always be on our minds, prayer is a special time where our fellowship with God grows. Our sin that once prohibited communion with God 
Now by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, you and I who confess our sin and we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, we can now have communion with God. How glorious is that? That's prayer. That's the link. Because of God's grace, you and I can now have access to the holy God. And prayer builds on that relationship with Him. Prayer gives us access to Him because we're no longer at odds with Him. Through God's Son, we commune with God in peace and hope and complete security because He's working for us now. Lastly, the third thing, we recognize that making changes in how we do something, it takes time. So we need to make a plan. It's worth looking at how we pray to ensure that God receives the honor that He is due. But it's not something we can improve on overnight. It's not something that we can really do on our own at all. It takes commitment and time for it to become a normal part of us. This prayer week is not a New Year's resolution because resolutions are temporary. Instead, let's take the time, the opportunity to turn to God and ask Him to chart the path for us in 2018 and beyond, creating a more richer, joyous time of fellowship and communion with God. Make specific goals like adding God's attributes of praise in your prayers to Him, thanking Him specifically in how He has blessed you and He has provided for you, how He cares for you. You do this in small steps, trusting that God will do what you cannot do. This way you will make smaller changes and that's more doable. But above all, we trust in God's grace that He is sufficient for us that His Spirit will guide us and help us in our prayers. This is what Prayer Week is supposed to do for us as a church. It's an exercise for us to commune with God together and to bask in who God is together and on our own, and we experience this prayer life that is rich and full. I hope this week is one that's a blessed renewal and encouragement for you, one that strengthens you. Prayer gives us access to God. Jesus has shown us how to pray. He says, don't get caught in the rut of meaningless prayer. Don't let sin creep in and destroy your fellowship with God. Rather, see prayer as the part of the Christian life that God has blessed you with. This is communion and fellowship with our great God. We, how do we pray? We pray with God in mind. So pray and be filled with his presence. Pray and be filled with his grace and his love. Pray and trust in his promises through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.